0: today's reading is genesis twelve one to 5 it can be found on page 12 of the bibles next to your seats as well as on the screen this is god's word the lord said to abram go from your country your people and your father's household to the land i will show you i will make you into a great nation and i will bless you i will make your name great and you will be a blessing I will, curse, I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was seventy-five years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife Sarai, their nephew Lot, and all the possessions they had accumulated and the people they had acquired in Haran. And they set out for the land of, land of Canaan, and they arrived there. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God will you join me in prayer our God of grace as we um, as we look into this story we want to listen to your voice and hear from you Uh, because on our own we see through a glass darkly we have troubled lives we have um, inconsistent devotion to you if we're one of your followers we have Confusion and chaos and unexpected things happen in our lives, no matter who we are. And sometimes we come into this place excited and sometimes we come discouraged. Um, And our life has all but kept us from walking in these doors. Um, And as we come from all these different places, um, you, we believe you speak into our lives with a, a commonality, with a grace that we all need. And so as we sit here, um, truly incapable of becoming who we are supposed to be, truly incapable of reaching high enough to get to you, truly incapable, really, to put it in these terms, to to save ourselves. And you answer that by making up all the difference and coming to us, dying in our place, rising from the dead to defeat death, and we enter, we're invited to enter in to that death and resurrection, that we would be enfolded through baptism into the dying and rising of your Son, Jesus Christ. May that uh, reality wake us up, shake us up, and speak to us to send us out to be helpful in this broken world. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, a family when it's at its best, takes care of those within its uh, boundaries. And that's a good thing. A family is about self-preservation. A family has a sort of inertia to it that way, that it's just, that's what a family does. A family doesn't, even a good family, doesn't put pressure on itself to look outside the family and to say like, well, oh, maybe that person could be in our family. Maybe that person could be in our family. Families don't really operate that way. We don't, we don't think of families that way. Um, and even the gray areas of family get kind of confusing and we think, well, what's my role there? You know, like someone has a, a stepdad and then you kind of go, eh, what's that gray area all about? What do I... Do I do I enter in like like that's that's family? That step person or not, you know? And you tell a friend how much your step the step person is annoying you or whatever and how you're know, griping that this that you have to deal with this now in life and somebody just says, "Ah, oh, it doesn't matter. Just forget about it. It's just it's just a that step, step person, you know?" We kind of that's kind of acceptable. It's like family is family and that's how things are. Now the church The the church community is a family. And a lot of times the family language stuff applies and it's good that it applies. Um, And a church, because so much of family applies to church, uh, church can get on that same trajectory of self-preservation. And... it begins to get foreign to look outside the family and say who else might join in this family Um, there's an inertia that catches with church and you know how isaac newton talked about it an object in motion tends to stay in motion unless acted upon by an outside force Or an an object that's stationary, same rule applies, tends to stay stationary unless acted upon by an outside force. And today, as we enter into thinking about what does the Bible say about church, we see in the story of Abraham, we we begin to enter into how the church and its identity is one that has been acted on, acted upon by an outside force and bumped out of the inertia of self-preservation and so the church's vision right from the earliest times in the Bible's story uh, that even tells us about who we are already is bumping us out of that inertia of self-preservation in fact we're given a call to exist for outsiders not at the expense of those who are inside but it flows through the insiders to the outsiders. If that ends up being this microphone, I'll just turn it off. But so far, so good. <laughs> when we look at the story of Abraham, um, you can't really understand it without looking at the background, the first 11 chapters of Genesis, before we get to Abraham in chapter 12. So we just read these first monumental words to Abram. He's not Abraham yet, because God hasn't changed his name. But before those words, there's 11 chapters that that, that kind of lead us to understand what's going on here when God starts speaking blessings to Abraham. And what it is, is it's a tale of estrangement and deterioration, and it's growing. In fact, the, the narrative has all these genealogical portions and these points where you know, it'll tell us a story, but then it'll tell us about how humanity is expanding and fanning out. Um, God starts with these benedictions, speaking these benedictions, word, good words about creation, and there's six of them. It is good, it is good, it is good. He's creating things and it is good and he creates mankind and and it is good and he blesses them. But then um, when Adam and Eve choose to go their own way and they doubt God's blessing and think there's a blessing being held out for them that they haven't gotten yet, so they chase after that, then we get curses spoken by God. The serpent is cursed, the ground is cursed. You know, it's going to be hard work now to work the ground. And then Cain and Abel come, their sons, and it's a story of two brothers, except now um, Cain is jealous. And so he's sort of chasing after this blessing that his brother Abel has gotten, and he's jealous that he hasn't gotten that blessing because of his sacrifices. And so he takes his brother out into a field and kills him. And then God comes in and curses are spoken again. And this pattern kind of carries on. Um, Curses define chapters 1 through 11 as humanity deteriorates and grows, but then the deterioration grows, and it seems like it's spinning out of control. Around the time of Noah, God carries out sort of a curse against all of the land and animals again. And then he says, um, I think if this thing pops one more time, I'm going to turn my mic off and some of you will thank me, I'm sure. Um, Chapter 8 of Genesis says, "God saying, Never again will I curse the ground because of human beings, even though every inclination of the human heart is evil from childhood that's that's sort of the expanding realization as things don't get better all right i said i was (laughs) i said i was gonna do it okay all right Uh, So, things are spinning out of control. People are chasing blessings apart from the blessing giver. To go uh, into physics again, we already talked about Newton. There's a sense in which humanity belongs to orbiting around God. He is the true blessing giver. But Genesis 1-11 through shows all of us just spinning out of control and it's growing. We're off track. We're not orbiting correctly and we're spinning out of control. And instead of getting blessings, we're getting curses as a result. And in the New Testament, when, when Abraham is referred to it, t- two times, he's referred to as good as dead. He was as good as dead. And part of that is like there's, a, there's an accent to that of he was really old and his wife was infertile. And so these two really old people, one of them infertile, is given this promise of blessing and they're they're going to have this big clan. And so it's you know, he's as good as dead, really, in terms of his descendants. But he's also a representative of humanity. Humanity is as good as dead at this point. So in the Bible's view, we're all in trouble and we need aggressive intervention from the outside. Is that how our world today views humanity? Is that how our, our think about our culture? Is that the cultural view of humanity that, that we are surrounded by, our milieu, you know? And you know, it's cultural stuff is hard to figure out, right? Because it's like two fish swimming along, and the one fish says to the other, the water's great today, and the other one says, what's water? (laughs) Right? I Because that's like culture. It's like, eh, it's it's all around us. Um, We don't even notice it. But I think that our culture says not that we're all in trouble and we need aggressive intervention from the outside. Our culture says you're fine, especially if you believe in yourself and get those toxic people out of your life that are, tell you that you're not and that are hard to deal with and that bum you out. Because um, you're not toxic. It's the stuff, it's the people around you and those bad messages. And, uh, and then our culture also kind of tells us that um, everyone's journey is legitimate. You are responsible for yourself. For anyone to come in and to imagine you need rescue or you need help and I know the way, that's invasive, that's disrespectful of your journey that you're on. Um, and it's very, it's, it's very judgmental to look at you and say, I look at your journey and it's, kind, it's incomplete. I know something that would be more complete um, and I want to tell you about it. That's something the church wrestles with. Um, and we'll get into that in a second. Let's turn the corner, though, so that's the trouble we're in. And then here's what happens in this story. God intervenes. We need aggressive intervention. God aggressively intervenes into the biblical story. It's a big deal because as things are spinning out of control and curses are being spoken, five times curses are spoken, and suddenly when God enters in, there's a decisive moment here. There's a definitive moment. There's a vision cast. Uh, in a sense, it's a foretaste of all the ways God is going to enter in from here on out because within the span of three sentences, five times blessing is mentioned as humanity spins out of control. I mean, literary, literarily, there's, this is a, a masterpiece, these first 11, 12 chapters of Genesis. And you could, you, know, you could spend all kinds of time teasing out. I was talking with Dan this morning, the literature buff, about how exciting this would be, right? To talk, tease out all the literary things going on between blessing and curse in the first 12 chapters. But the summary is, God counteracts the curse and says, from here on out, this is how it's going to go. I'm going to enter in. I'm going to narrow the focus as things are spinning out of control. And I'm going to go to Abram and I'm going to pour my, curse, my blessing in amidst the spiraling curses, and there's a new creation that's going to begin through this relationship as God enters in. And most striking, really, and most difficult to grapple with, and most easy as a church to leave behind is the last phrase, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Um, in the New Testament, in Galatians chapter three, verse eight, this is how the this is how the church after Jesus' death and resurrection came to view these words to Abraham or to Abram. Understand, then, says Galatians three, verse seven, that those who have faith are children of Abraham, not just ethnic descendants. Anyone who has faith in Jesus. S- verse eight. Scriptures foresaw. I like that language. Scriptures foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith. And catch this. And they announced the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. And it quotes Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12 is the gospel in advance. The earliest church after Jesus rose and taught them how to look back into Scripture and find Him on every page. And there's we learn about how Jesus did that with His disciples. They looked back at this and they said, Oh. That's the collective sound of the first generation of Christians. Just say it with me. Oh. They're all they're looking back at all these things and they're going, Oh, I get it. You know, and it makes sense because Nowhere up until the time of Jesus is there any hint that those words were carried out and fulfilled. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you. There's nothing you could point to from Abraham to Jesus that really looked like that, those words starting to come true. Do you get what I'm saying? This development of Abraham and all his descendants and the people of Israel and the nation of Israel as they came into the promised land and they got kicked out, they exiled, and then they came back, and then we're at Jesus' time. And in all that historical period, there's nothing that really looks like, wow, all the nations, all the peoples are being blessed through them. It's, this prophecy is true. Not until Jesus. Let me explain how, through Jesus, they started to see it and how this became like, oh, to the first followers, is that at the time of Jesus, the Jewish people were the last people on earth to grab hold of that kind of a phrase and say, yeah, that's us, we're going to do this. Um, All peoples on earth are going to be blessed through us. It's going to be great. They didn't think that way. They were in preservation mode. The Jews of Jesus' time were in major preservation mode. They hated the Romans... They also had this people group that was ethnically and religiously their cousins, the Samaritans. And they reserved a sort of special hatred for them. Uh, and maybe there's something human about that. You know, it's like the closer you are, but still off and wrong, the more it bugs me, right? It's, it, so there's something there where they, the Samaritans, oh, forget about the Romans, the Samaritans. So they didn't even talk or associate with the Samaritans, even though they're geographically close, even though they're cousins ethnically and religiously. And what does Jesus say after he's risen from the dead? He says to his disciples, okay, ready? Go to Jerusalem. And they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, Jerusalem. And to Samaria. (laughs) What? What? and to the ends of the earth. And I almost wonder if they would have been happier with ends of the earth than to go through Samaria Sumer- to get there. You get a, it, it's Jesus reinstating and saying, now that the resurrection has happened, finally we're back to what started at the very beginning. So the, see how the identity of the church is wrapped up in this early blessing? All peoples on earth will be blessed through you. At Abraham's time and onward until we get the climactic event in Jesus Christ, God's Son coming to earth. And he takes on all the curses that belong with the spiraling humanity. He takes the curses on himself. They literally curse and spit on him when he's on the cross, just to kind of emphasize that historic point. And then he does that. He takes on all the curses so that all the blessings come to us and that those blessings will spiral out and mushroom to more and more through anyone who has been kind of reinstated through the cross. That's God's mesh. That's God's blessing to reinstate you to enfold more and more people and reinstate them in the orbit around God so that they can receive the blessing we're made to receive. And God gives that to all of us and it keeps spreading out Free of charge. There's nothing we do to earn it. So God's reinfolding and reinstating, and He tells from the very beginning His church, You're going to go do that too. You're, it's going to happen through you. You're going to go find more. He calls it, at one point in the New Testament, we, we learned that it's called the ministry of reconciliation. You have been reconciled to God, but now your work, ministry means um, to serve. So now your service in this world is to go out and be reconciling more people to God. That's our call. We had an inertia. We were spiraling out of control. We were acted upon by an outside force, reinstated into a relationship with God, and then given and reinstated and enfolded into the call. The same call of Abraham go. Go. And it's not easy to go. It's a very, there's some different traits to it that are very un-American. One of them is that it's, re, it's a refusal. One un-American trait to the call of Abraham and the call of the church is there's a refusal to have self-absorbed dreams. The, the refusal to say that, yes, now dream about things that are just all wrapped up in yourself and what you can have and how great life can be for you but it's enfolding others into your dreams. The dream is to bring in, and you, you heard it on that video. I loved how that video, a lot of talk about like people everywhere enfolded in. Wouldn't it be great to have that? I dream of this. I envision this. And it's just this idea of more people coming in, more people being blessed. So it's very un-American in that it refuses to let you be selfish, but also it's a refusal to idolize comfort and ease. And, and uh, expert scholar in Genesis named Joyce Baldwin writes it this way, in the case of Abram, God was weaning him away from everything that would remind him of his cultural roots and testing his faith so that it would develop muscle. Anybody feel like they're being weaned from something and having to have a faith that's muscular? That could best happen when the this is how she says it that could best happen when the softening influences of familiar surroundings have been removed, and every step required dependence on the God who had called him. I love that. That is a picture of those who have been reinstated into the blessing of God. And you can depend on God that much. It's possible only because you have been so thoroughly blessed now. You've been so thoroughly reinstated. You don't have those things to chase after, the idols of comfort and ease, because those don't bless you nearly like the blessing of reinstatement with God blesses you. You have something way better. You can relax. And you can even... You can even have your agitation about suffering and struggle. You can have that agitation calmed because of the gospel. So, wrap-up time. Our cultural pressure is super-duper strong. To huddle up, stay out of other people's business. It's disrespectful and judgmental. That's the cultural pressure. It's really strong. God's impulse sits before us, you know, like an awkward elephant in the room. You exist for your blessing to go out to others who are spiraling out of control just like you are. Don't think you're better. But we are spiraling out of control if we're not orbiting around God. And so I think we need to be um, reinstated in our calling and reminded of it. It's a calling. It's all of our calling. Um, and I, I think we need to be reminded more often. And I, I, I wish in many ways that we would uh, more intentionally and aggressively, because God aggressively moves into our lives, aggressively consider that, this calling and do some things about it. Let me just suggest like five really quick things, and then I'll pray. Number 1 experience your reinstatement. I think step 1 of even entering into God's calling is to really experience, make sure in a sense, make sure before you start talking to your neighbor about Jesus, are you really living in a place of you have been you are reinstated in in your, in your you are reinstated to God's presence through the gospel. You don't just think you have better teachings than other people. You don't just think you've learned a better morality than other people. You actually have started to experience the calm of your agitation, of having the treasure of God. Make sure you have that. And keep going back to it. That's what we need to do. Experience reinstatement. Second, believe that God is doing this stuff. Believe that God is working counter-culturally. He actually is still kind of plucking out kids of his because we're all God's children. And he's still setting folks up through all different means to encounter his grace and to be reinstated and unfolded into the family. Believe this is totally happening with people you know that you least expect. It, and it won't be the people that, that you are hoping for or expecting. It'll be someone else. So believe, it's, make sure you're experiencing reinstatement. Believe God's working. Relax. That's the third one. Relax. Because this isn't about shoving your pill down someone else's throat. And you'll probably get in that mode if you think of it as your mission. It's not your mission. It's God's mission. And he'll, he'll, he'll help you into it. He'll find roles for you. And we'll be dealing with a lot of that in the next nine weeks. Experience, reinstatement, believe, relax, and pray. I think this is the most important one. If I had to say just one of them, I'd say pray. Pray. I'd say pray aggressively and intentionally. Pray for yourself, you know, to, to keep experiencing the gospel, to keep being reinstated to the calm of the gospel, the treasure of the gospel. But pray for others. Pray for other people as God leads you and as doors open. Just be, pray for stories of transformation to happen, maybe even without praying for specific people. Just pray that it's happening. Be in conversation with God about this mission of His. He's doing it. It's His big idea it's what you're enfolded into. Might as well get on board and be conversing about it and be thinking about it and be expecting it. I think God doesn't so much use those. God, I think, really starts to use people when they're expecting him to be doing this stuff. So you can kind of ho-hum and be like, ah, I wish cool things were happening in the church like they were in the beginning. And, you know, that's why I don't pray, because I just don't see it happening. And I think it kind of works the other way, that you you know leaning into it, expecting it, conversing, and just, just wait, and it won't be like you think. It'll be people you don't expect. It'll be stories that you never would have thought would come out. And then the last one is be attentive. Experience reinstatement, believe God's doing it, relax, pray, and just then be attentive. Be attentive through empathy, uh, listen and empathize, and then be available to people in your life. Those, were my, those would be my summary points. Culturally speaking, of how we can be savvy and aggressive without shoving our pill down someone else's throat, without being disrespectful, because Christians are often disrespectful and judgmental. So people are going, yeah. So I think we do need to be careful, and this is how I think we can still be aggressive. Experience your reinstatement, believe, relax, pray, and be attentive to what's going on. Expect things to happen. Expect to walk alongside people. Let's pray. Our God of grace, enfold us into your mission, we pray, and may we um, have courage, and also may we be filled with the love of God as we go forward. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.